Welcome to Hope Community Church. Why don't we stand and give the Lord some praise? Come on, he's worthy, Lord. We praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your presence, God.
Isn't he wonderful? Praise God. It's good to be in the house of the Lord with all of you. Praise God. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to get right into this. I've got a lot to say tonight, so listen fast. Praise God. Not really. Well, I don't know. I think I do, and then I run out of time. Praise God. Matthew 24, verse number 10. The Lord said in his dissertation of the end times, he said, these will be the signs of the end. And he goes through a whole list of things, and earthquakes and different types of things going on. He says, and then shall men be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise and deceive many. And because, of the and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Praise God. You can be seated. What I'm going to be talking to you tonight about is the second part of the bait of Satan. And, uh, and this is, the bait of Satan is the... Um, Oh, what am I trying to say? It's the, i got to turn that thing off there. Hang on. Clear my head. That's it. Is that better? The bait of Satan is the, um, the trap of offense and being offended. We talked about last time that there, the Lord told us that there will be offenses. You will be offended. So we understand that uh, we're, we are not going to be kept from this uh, offense or this trap. Uh, the Lord talks about how the Lord, the, the devil is going to use this to bait us. It's going it's to be the trap that he's going to use, and the offense is going to be the bait that he uses. So are we going to take the bait? That's the question. Or are we going to use it as an opportunity to build ourselves and our faith? Let me explain. And this, I'm just going through this from last time. Last time we talked about how uh, our response to offense is going to be to allow the Lord to purge us, right? How is gold purified? Anybody know? Burned through the fire. We are purified through the fire. That's what the Bible says, that he purifies us through trials and, uh, well, I will just say offenses. And so what I'm talking about is so, like God knows who you are. Well, let me explain it this way. People are like, well, they're confused about the test. Like, why is God, there's like some twisted uh, characteristic of God that he puts his people who he loves to test. He's going to test me to see if I'm going to pass. Well, doesn't he already know if I'm going to pass or fail? Well, yeah, he does. <laughs> so a test isn't, isn't for him to know whether you're going to do it or not. The test is for us to know that we really aren't where we're supposed to be. That's the test. Are you with me? So how do you pass the test is um, you allow that 
let me just say this. If somebody comes against you and you and you become offended or you get angry or something starts to stir inside of you, let me just say this. You've got the Holy Ghost and you think, well, now I love everybody and nobody can offend me, right? Well, guess what? You're going to be put to the test. God's going to allow something to happen to you because God knows deep down, maybe on the surface you've gotten this uh, you've gotten uh, the Holy Ghost, but deep down inside, there's still a lot of you left. So he's going to allow us to get put in situations that that will stir up that deep, dark secrets that you don't even know is there. He's talking about, he talks about in the book of James, staring into the perfect law of liberty. And that is when you look in the mirror and you can see what's really there, Right? And the only way you can see what's really there is if you're put in a situation that draws that out, like the dross that is coming out of that gold. So it's purified through the fire. Okay, so these are ways that we can uh, respond favorably to, uh, favorably to offenses and to things that trouble us, right? Another way that we can do that is to dig for gold in every situation, right? We dig for gold in every person. We dig for gold in every situation. So when somebody comes against, we talked about this, how drama, dramas are played out, right? Usually on sh- TV shows or whatever, uh, that there's always a misunderstanding, right? Somebody says something and the, and the person takes it misunderstanding. And then you're there as the, the onlooker and you're saying, why doesn't she just explain herself? How simple would that be? And then she would clear it all up. But, but they, the, the directors of the show, they always leave the person stunned and staring there like, oh. And you're like, well, just speak up. Right? Does that make sense? So but the, isn't that what happens a lot of times, though, is we overhear somebody or somebody might say something to us. Or, like we talked about, somebody might say something to our kid. And, boy, don't get mama bear stirred up. Well, it could be a misunderstanding. Well, my, your kid, and trust, we can't trust our kids. I mean, I trust mine now because they're in the room, but, and they're older. But when they're kids, you know, kids are kids. Did you know you never had to teach your kid how to lie? They just did that, and it just come naturally, right? Did you do that? They No, I didn't. Well, you know they're holding on to it. They got chocolate all over their face. Did you eat it? No, I didn't eat it. You didn't, tr- you didn't have to train them to do that. It just comes naturally, okay? So as they grow and they're 8 or 9 or they're 15 or they're 20, uh, you know, a lot of times that doesn't go away. It's still, they're still kind of working that out. All right, so it doesn't mean, you're, so your kid might come just stir the pot. Anybody ever have a kid like that? Did they just stir the pot? They, they pit mom against dad and they pit mom and dad against the school teacher. Right? Anybody ever have that? They come home and tell you all the bad stuff the school teacher did, and then you go tell the, talk to the school teacher and find out it really wasn't quite like that. Anybody else ever have kids? Praise the Lord. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is you could overhear something from somebody, and they just might be stirring up drama. They, hey, I'm just trying to get attention for myself. Your friends could do that to you. People in the church could do that to you. And so what I'm trying to say is just because you overheard somebody said something or some situation might have happened, it might benefit you to go check it out, to go find out for yourself. This is the reason why the Bible says that if you have ought against your brother, what should you do? 
you should go talk to everybody else about it before you go talk to him. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if you have a problem with your brother or your sister, all right, uh, and I'm talking about in the Lord, so in the church, you would go to them and you would say, hey, I overheard X, Y, Z, or this. I thought this happened. What really happened? Can you tell me the rest of the story? What are you doing? You're digging for gold. You're trying to give the benefit of the doubt. If you live your life this way, you will almost, almost surely live free of offense. Okay, so that's part one. And here's part two as we talk about this. He says, in the last days, there will be many people. How many? Many shall be offended. Now, I don't have to probably convince anybody here that we are in the season of his return. If we, are, if we have ever been, of course, if the disciples believed that they were preparing for his return, how much more are we closer to the end days, right? Now, obviously. So, um, so this is these, Jesus says these are going to be the signs of the last of the last days. And there's a lot there. We can go through that in Matthew chapter 24. There's a lot of debate over all of that. And I'm not going to get into all that. But here's just what he said. This is just human nature. There's going to be people who are going to be offended. And um, why is that that people will be offended? Is because their love will grow cold. So he t- there's two types of love that's written in the Bible. There's two main, main, two main types of love that's written. And we translate it from the Greek two words. Phileo and agape. Phileo love is the surface love. It's the um, it's when you say I love hot dogs. You know, you love a hot dog. I love pizza. I love uh, hanging out with my friends. I like being with that certain person, right? Or I may, you may even say I love you. You know, I love you. And most of the time, when our teenagers say they are in love, that they are in phileo love. They, and what I say, well, you're not in love with them. You're in lust with them. And, you know, one day that might turn to love. By the way, love, true love is forged in a furnace, <laughs> not on a date, right? Not, not when you, at, at whatever, uh, when you get your arm around your girl, your guy, and, 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 the, and the music's playing and the birds are singing and No, love's not made there. Love is forged in the fire of anger and torment and and all of that. So you come talk to me in 20 years and tell me if you're in love with that person. Praise the Lord. You hear me? So it's the phileo love that that there's two types of love. The agape, so phileo love is that. So um, when we say we love something in in this way, the phileo love, and I'm I'm probably not saying that right, but it's um, it's it's where you love something until you don't. You, you hear me? Because the phileo phileo how how do you say that? Anybody know? Yeah. Okay. The phileo love is you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours, and as long as we have that relationship, then we're good. In other words, I love hot dogs until it gives me indigestion. Then I'm not sure I love hot dogs anymore. You know, I love pizza until I realize that every time I eat pizza, I get really sick. What happens to when you look at pizza now? You're like, oh, no, I hate pizza. 
Well, I thought you loved pizza. Well, we used to have this relationship, but we don't have that anymore. It used to be nice to me, but now it's not anymore. Anybody ever hang out with somebody who you thought was really nice, but now all of a sudden they irritate the fire out of you? Well, you don't love to hang out with them anymore. You see how that phileo love is? Well, then there's this other type of love that's called agape love, and that's the unconditional love. This is the God love. This is how God loves us unconditionally. In other words, he loves hot dogs no matter what they do to him. (laughs) He loves us no matter what we do to him. No matter if we, you know, scratch my back. No, that's not it. Agape love is I love you no matter what you do in return. You don't even have to love me in return. In fact, you could even hate me. And it will not affect my agape love. And this is what Jesus said. He said, in the last days, many people will be offended because the agape shall grow cold. People will stop being able to love like God loves. Let me say to you this way. The fruit of the Spirit is, anybody? Against such there is no law, Galatians 5.23, right? So what's the first fruit of the Spirit? Now, by the way, there's not nine fruits of the Spirit. There's only one fruit of the Spirit, and it includes all of that, love and joy and peace. And you can't say, well, I got the love, but I'm working on the temperance, you know. I'm working, you know, all of that is one fruit of the Spirit, and this is how we know the Spirit of God has remained in us. How do we know that we have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost the very first time? The Bible says because we will hear them speak in tongues and magnify the Lord as it did on us in the beginning. Okay, so, but how do we know that that Spirit of God has remained and that the Spirit of God is molding us and changing us and our mind is becoming like His mind and we are walking in the Spirit, not in the flesh, okay? How do we know that? There's one way, the fruit of the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit is when the Spirit of God is alive in His church. And here's what he said. Many people will be offended because they will, okay, let me just say this. It is impossible for us to truly, as far as I'm concerned, to truly have agape love without the Spirit. And let me say it this way. Uh, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. So people say, well, I I have love because I love hot dogs. That's the fruit of the Spirit. No, anybody can love hot dogs as long as you love hot dogs. How about a puppy? I always use a puppy for an example. You love a puppy, right? And you think, well, I've got the fruit of the Spirit because I love a puppy. Well, puppies are easy to love. <laughs> they're cute and they're cuddly and all that stuff. They're so easy to love. Well, when that little puppy grows up and starts biting you, you know, your relationship might change a little bit. But things that are easy to love don't require help from the Holy Ghost. So at what point do we have the fruit of the Spirit, which would be peace? Well, it's easy to have peace when you got money in the bank and everything's going your way and, and uh, you have no trials and tribulations in your life and you think, well, I've got the fruit of the Spirit because I have peace. Well, anybody can be peace in the calm of the storm or in the calm of the day, right? But it's, where, it's when you're in the middle of the storm that you need to have that Spirit of God to help you to have peace even when you shouldn't have peace. Or to love when you shouldn't love. When you should feel offended, but you don't. 
that is when the agape love, the fruit of the Spirit, has to take place. Think about this. Jesus loved until he, he loved until he had nothing left to give. He gave until he had nothing left to give, and then he gave his life. And the Spirit of the Lord had to come and meet him at Gethsemane and strengthen him and allow him the strength to do what he needed to do. Are you with me? So that took the Spirit of God. We can't do these things in our flesh. So what Jesus is saying here is, in the last days, the love of many will grow cold, and therefore many people will be offended. Because if you have agape love active in your life, you it is going to be really hard for you to become offended. So, um, yeah, Jesus is the perfect example. When the world turned their back on him, when they lied about him, when they beat him and they spat upon him, he forgave them and he loved them enough to die for those that were doing these things to him. Yet we get upset when we're not invited to a birthday party. We get upset when we're left out of the uh, Facebook group. We get upset when they don't text us at the whatever. We get upset when somebody uh, encroaches into our ministry bubble. Well, I can't believe they called the youth to come and have a youth thing. And I'm throwing this. This did not happen here. It happened somewhere. If it did happen here, I don't know anything about it. I'm just trying to use an example. They had a youth thing, and they didn't call Andrew. What's up with that? Don't they know that everything that has to go through the youth has to go through Andrew? And here, I, this didn't happen. But you see what I'm saying. People get, they get upset over stuff. And, and why is that that people can get so easily offended when Jesus can say, you know what, I know you're driving nails into my hand, but I forgive you. It's all cool. Many people in the last days shall be offended. Because of the agape love, they are not going to have that agape love. And it's going to go away. I'm telling you, I, I wanted to start this sermon tonight, this teaching tonight with this statement. If you will hear what I have to say tonight, this will probably be one of the most important messages that you will ever learn in your walk with God. What I'm telling you is this right here is paramount to your ability to survive as a Christian, this stuff right here is not just makes good sense. This stuff right here tonight will get you to heaven. And if you apply it, I promise you, you will live a more victorious life for God. And you will have a lot more peace. So here's, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that we should love your enemies. Jesus said to love your enemies. Does it, that doesn't even make sense to the world. To the human mind, that doesn't even comprehend. Most of the teachings that Jesus did in his life turned everybody upside down, turned every theology and every previously thought idea upside down, onto, on its side, some would say. And um, here, here he goes this. So it's, this, is, this concept is incomprehensible to love your enemies. Who are your enemies? 
Well, they're certainly not your brothers and sisters in the church. Paul said to this, I wish I could find the scripture again. Somebody said it, I preached one time, and I could never find that passage. It's in the book of Acts somewhere. And Paul said, he just mentioned it off the cuff. He said, I, I love this man through the blood. And he's talking about the blood of Jesus. He's talking about the love that he has for the certain brother. He's bound to him and this love towards his brother because they were bound together by the blood of Jesus. That is our relationship with each other in the church. So no matter what you think about your personality or the other person's personality or your temperaments don't get along or whatever, or the things you, the little clickings that you might do or your, you chew your ice and it bothers me, we are bound together by this bond that is thicker than your, your brother or your sister, what I'm saying, a sibling, an earthly sibling. So there is a bond that, that joins us together. And uh, so, th so certainly the people in the church are not our enemy. But he, so, but, so, but he goes on to say, even those people who are your enemy. Now, who, who are your enemy? The people who lie about you, the people that deliberately want you to fail. They are against you personally. They lie, cheat, steal, whatever they have to do to make sure that you fail. I would say that there are many people here that have a true enemy. I mean, somebody that spends their day just to make sure you have a bad one. Their sole purpose in life is, but if you did have that enemy, you should love them anyway. Not the person who accidentally offends you. Not the person that just misstepped. But that's what we have, don't we? We have people that get so easily offended that we, even though we might be your brother and sister in the Lord, we have to walk on pins and needles around you to make sure that you don't think we're your enemy. And I'm going to tell you tonight that this is a spiritual problem. It really is. So here's what he said, Matthew 5 and 43. He's, he preaches a lot in Matthew, man. It's incredible. He says, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. For if you love them which love you, you already have your reward. It's easy to love somebody who's going to love you back. So don't the publicans and the tax collectors, don't they do the same? They love people that love them back. But if you salute, but if you salute your brethren only, the ones that's going to salute you back, do not even the publicans. He's talking about, he's trying to, he's trying to say, look, even the heathens understand that this is a, so maturity in the spirit will produce the fruit of the Spirit. Agape love is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of the flesh. Agape love cannot be offended. In fact, this is why so many are offended in the last days, because the uh, agape love is going to grow cold. Christians having a form of godliness, but denying the power of the Spirit. 
and he, we'll get to this in a moment, he tells Timothy, from these people, turn away. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit is dead in them. They have no power in the Holy Ghost. So here's what happens So when we get offended, when people get offended. We build walls of protection around our hearts. Proverbs 18 and 9, 19 says, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong, fortified city, and their contentions are like bars of a castle. So we build walls around our city in order to keep anybody else from hurting us. When we're offended, we construct these walls to prevent future wounds. Walls are built so the city can decide who comes in and who goes out. That's why we build walls around a city, so we can determine what comes in and what goes out. So we, then we become selective, then denying entry to all who we fear will hurt us. And the more we allow offense to get a hold of us, the more we put that barrier up, and eventually we will not allow anyone in. So we withhold access until these people have either paid their debt to us in full or we forget what they've got. And anybody knows that when somebody offends you, it's fairly hard to forget what they've done. So here's what we do is we open our lives to only those that we believe are on our side. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about an offended person. You know, there. everybody knows somebody who lives a life offended. They allow only a few into their circle. And usually it's those that are also very easily offended. It's true. Uh, what is it? Uh, pain loves misery is company, right? So here's what happens then. If you begin to do this, you begin to build these walls, you're not doing it on purpose. You're not doing it uh, intentionally. You're doing it unintentionally, but it's just our survival mode. And uh, we do it without knowing it, and pretty soon we have built ourselves inside these walls, and these walls then become a prison. And at this point, we no longer let anyone in, and we begin to live in terror to ever venture outside of our fortress. We stand in guard of our right to live without being hurt. And we defend our cause to the death. This is what an offended person does. They stand there and defend their right to be right about being offended. And might I add, they never admit that they're offended. They deny it. They will deny it all day long. Well, I'm not offended. No, 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 I love them. No, 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 I've got agape love. No, no, I got this. But I'm still not letting them in. And I, now this is a whole other thing. You know, if somebody is mean and ugly and terrible things, um, you can love them, but you don't have to hang out with them. That's true. Okay, so I'm not going to get into all that. This is, maybe next time we'll talk about forgiveness, but this is what I'm, I'm trying to free somebody from this bait, this trap of offense. So the, offend, the offended Christian has an inward focus, always. It's protect me. 
It's always about me. Whenever you hear someone come, uh, we both show we hear, we have this all the time. People come into our office and they begin to say, this is what this person has done to me. This is how me, this is what's happened to me. And why don't they understand who me is and all of this. And you can tell right away they're living in this prison. They're living in the prison where it's all about me and I've got rights too. And nobody's, you hear what I'm saying? A Christian shouldn't ever be about me. It's always about someone else. It's always. It's always about how can I humble myself to allow the other person to get ahead. Here's what Jesus said. When you come to a party and you sit at the table, what did he say? Oh, I have a right. Here's what he said. You may have the right to sit at the head of the table, but don't you dare. You lose, you forfeit your right to allow someone else to sit there, and you go to the bottom, the very last one. He said, now maybe somebody will move you up, but this is how we should do this. It's always our, and somebody might say this. I wrote this in our chapter. I was writing the book, and this is my chapter today. How insignificant. You know, Jesus only had three and a half years of ministry. He had three and a half years to pour into 12 men who, in order to build a church that's going to take this gospel into a world that was going to persecute them to death, that we could have a church still today, two millennium later. He only had a short time to do it. You would think that he wouldn't spend time talking about table etiquette. Like, how many parties are they going to attend anyway? So, But there he is. He's saying, hey, and I love it how Jesus, he all, it always says, you know, he stood in the back and he just kind of observed. The Bible says he observed them coming in, and they were all jockeying for position. And he made it, it was such a big deal that you might think how insignificant it was for him to talk about this. But the insignificance proves the significance of his statement. And that is even you've got to be humble. You have got to, this is, you know, in the previous uh, moment, he talked to, they were jockeying for position about who was going to sit at the right hand of the kingdom of God. Now, that's important. Now, he's going to need to address that. Okay? That's, yeah, I'm going to stop the train right here and say, Mama, you can't, you're jockeying for these, your, your boys, and that's not right. All the other disciples were up in arms because Mama came in and tried to jockey for position for her boys to sit at the right and the left hand of the kingdom of God. And he's like, you can't even drink from the cup that I have. He's, you know, he was like, no, 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 this is, that's, okay, you're going to address that. But then the next day, he's talking about table etiquette. So here, listen, this is, this, to me, this is his point. The point is, You're not only supposed to be a Christian when it's important, but even when it's not important, even when it's just this menial thing about sitting at a dinner guest table, this is the importance of this. In other words, humility is not something that you do because it's right. Humility is who you are. It becomes very fiber of your being. So you're always, too, the Christian heart is never about me. It's never, ever about my rights. Agape love is never the proof or the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the philosophy that I'm going to stand for my rights to be right. And you don't have a right to 
challenge me and to, and to steal my agape love literally gives you the right to take away my love. That's agape love. And the reason why offense shall grow strong is because agape love will grow weak. So agape love gives others the right to hurt us without any retaliation on our part whatsoever. Christians who say, well, I gave them a piece of my mind. Well, I let them have it. Uh, okay. Love does not seek its own. That's what the Bible says. That's what he told the church at Corinth when he was the love chapter. You know that one, the love chapter. Jesus, praise God. The love chapter is, uh, you know, we always read at weddings and beautiful and so nice and so romantic, whatever. No, it's an open rebuke. It is an open rebuke to the church at Corinth who was not operating in the, in the spiritual gift, the gift of the spirit. They were operating the gifts of the spirit, but not having the fruit of the spirit, I should say. They were lacking the fruit of the spirit. And the most important of all of that was love. And they had no love. And here's what he was saying. Love does not, uh, what did I say? It do, love does not seek out its own. What does that mean? Essentially, this means that those who embody true biblical love do not insist upon their own way or their own rights. Love does not seek its own. So we move here now into this sea. You've got this person who's built walls. They're, they don't allow anyone to come in. They never venture out in fear of being wounded again because they don't have the agape love. They've, they're not walking in the spirit anymore. They're walking in the flesh, and they're demanding their rights, and uh, you took away my rights, and I would say that 99.9% .9 of the time when you're offended, it's because you feel like you have been dissed in some way, and that is you saying, I, I didn't. It wasn't right for you to treat me this way. Agape love says, I have no problem. Are you with me? It's really quiet. Why is it so quiet? Are y'all just sleeping or are you just listening real close or what? Lily, thank you. But she's the amen corner over here. Praise the Lord. I really feel like just come and sing that last song again. Hallelujah. Are we okay? All right, all right. So here you've got this, maybe I'm just freaking everybody out with this. I don't know. It's the second chapter of Beta Satan. Just go home and read it. Hallelujah. How about that? Come play. No. Okay, so you've got this person who's built walls, and they're not letting anything. And here the writer, John Bevere, uh, notes this as analogy to a sea. Now, if you look at, there's two seas in Israel. One sea is the Sea of Galilee. And it is full of life. It's got fish. It's got plant life, vegetation. And it's full of life. It's fed from the river above. I don't remember which river that is. But out of the south, it's the Jordan River. Maybe the Jordan on both sides. I don't know. But anyway, the south, it flows out of the south, the Jordan River. And it flows with that, this river of life and living waters. And it goes all the way down to this next body of water called the Black, or no, the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea has inlet, but it has no outlet. So all in, in the Dead Sea, there is no life. 
No fish can survive there. There's no vegetation. It is literally a dead sea. And so one might think, well, what in the world happens to all that lush, light water that's flowing in? It gets contaminated, and it kills it. And so it is with a Christian who does not allow anything out and everything that comes in, hear me now, everything that is comes through the heart and the mind of this offended Christian is filtered through this filter of offense that everything that they see, in other words, they are so, there, there is such a root of bitterness within them that it doesn't matter if you tell them you love them it comes in as hate, and it dies in them. Anybody ever notice that? When you talk to somebody who's offended and you try to help them, and they just bite back? You know, the old adage says that hurt people hurt other people. Well, why is that? It doesn't matter what you do. And this is what I'm saying, is we tiptoe around people who are wounded and offended. And be honest with you, and I've said this to people, it really doesn't matter. People get offended and they leave here and they give us a laundry list of all the stuff that we did wrong. And you know what? You, you got to look inward. You got to look at the list. You got to say, okay, what can I do better? But at the end of the day, probably it didn't matter what we did. It didn't matter if we did everything right or everything wrong. They were going to act the same. It doesn't matter if we loved you. You know what, people, we, we can love people wrong, and they get offended. In fact, I mean, you imagine that. Well, you didn't love me right. I know, it's crazy. But this is, what, this is reality. This is how people are when they're so offended. And they get, they, so, so everything that comes in is filtered through this filter of pain and anguish and bitterness, and it's just, it tastes bad. So at this point, reality starts to become obscured. Think about it. When they say, well, everybody in the church hates me, when you know that's not true, but that's how they feel. Because they're living in this dead sea of emotions and this dead sea of life. It's just nothing there. And so everybody's against them. And, they, and that's not true, is it? In fact, everybody could be for them, but they don't feel that way. And so they have a disconnect of truth. They're, they're almost like they're living in on another planet. You know, they, they have no, re, there's no connection to true reality. Okay, so their, their mind, our minds become obscured and tainted where we cannot know, we can no longer receive truth. Now think about this, this person who's not walking in the spirit any longer, they're only walking in the flesh. In fact, they're being killed by their own flesh, the flesh of phileo love, which is you scratch mine, I'll scratch yours, and if you don't, then I don't love anybody. There's no agape love. There's none of that going on. And so pretty soon, they just become, watch this. They become deceived by their own misinterpretation of life and the motives of others. Then they begin to use Scripture to justify how they feel. 
And then they begin to use Scripture to highlight the faults in everyone else. certain I would offend some of you here, and I really don't want to do that. I'm trying to think of an example that I wouldn't. I'll I'll just very slightly tiptoe on this one. All those people over there at Hope, they love Easter, but you know it's paying a cost. You know, Easter's a pagan thing. You know, Easter is from the Estra. You know, uh, just so you know, Easter is actually a word found in the book of Acts. Just saying, maybe you didn't know that. But anyway, so people are like, they, I don't, they don't even use the word Easter. They, no, it's Resurrection Sunday. And, uh, and you can call it whatever you want. I don't care. I'm just saying. But some people will actually begin to use Scripture to validate this separation. That I am not like it, and, and, and separating those who really love them. And they'll begin to say, you know what, I found this scripture, and I found this scripture, and now pretty soon Christmas is an issue. And now pretty soon all of these things become an issue. And pretty soon everything becomes an issue. The fact that, that I wear a wristwatch becomes an issue. The fact, and then scripture after scripture, and then they become holier than thou. And how dare you can uh, think of me of anything else. And, uh, well, I, you know, I'm not like the rest of you because I've got all these scriptures that justify the, how I'm feeling. Giving me excuses to find another place that fits me better. Am I, I'm, I'm walking in it, but I'm just saying this is truth. So here, so here's what happens. Watch this. They become intoxicated with self-righteousness because they're living in this place of death and darkness. They have to justify and they have to make themselves feel like, you know what, I, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. I'm right to be right. And everybody else is wrong. You use me? say this just to qualify and I hate to have to do this but if you don't want to have Easter that's cool and I'm not saying that you're offended I'm just saying that don't use that to separate yourself from the body okay that's all I'm saying if you don't wear a wrist wristwatch and you don't like the fact that I do that's fine that that doesn't mean that you're the person I'm talking about it doesn't mean that I'm just saying don't use this to separate you from the body because here's what happens and I'm I wish I could uh, call out the names of the people that I can tell you that these are the things that happen. You're like, okay, I'm not that person. And I, are you with me? They're cr- they, they actually lose their marbles. They lose their ever-loving minds. And here's what happens. <laughs> I said something. Keith is laughing. Now I know I really said something bad. Okay, so they become self-intoxicated self, Sorry, with self-righteousness. And then they even go so far as to believe a false teacher. Brother Stowe, you've seen them. You've seen people get offended, and that's the first fear that comes to the heart of the pastors is when somebody becomes offended, we're afraid of the next step, and then the next step, and then the next step. What are the steps? Here I'm going to show you, Matthew 24 and 10. And they shall be offended, 
and they shall betray one another, and then they will hate one another. And then he goes on, he says, and many false prophets shall arise and deceive them. The offense is taken, it is not dealt with properly, and then there is betrayal of one saint to another, and then that saint will then begin to hate those who they once loved, and then they become so intoxicated in this place of black darkness and death that a false teacher can come in and just deceive them right up, right from under the flock. Come on. You're offended? You don't need to go there. You don't need, those people are so uh, worldly anyway. Come on. The truth. We've seen it over and over and over again. Here's what 2 Timothy, I told you I'd get back to this in a moment. I'm closing here. 2 Timothy 3 and says this. This is what Paul says in the last days. It's going to look like this. And this know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of themselves. Selfish, inward, it's all about me, me, my rights. And they will be covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And from such, he says, turn away. He goes on to say, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. They will turn their hearts away from others and towards themselves, and it's the progression that takes place after that. Eventually, they will be led away by false prophets. So here's what I'm telling you tonight. The bait of Satan and, the, and this, what we're going through about uh, this offense stuff is not just a good idea. In order for you to fully be uh, effective as a Christian, this ha is a paramount. This is the foundation of your walk with God. So when this happens, the bait of Satan takes full, full circle. Many will be offended, betray one another, and finally hate one another. So the bait will be set before you, no matter what. There's no question. Satan is going to place the bait before you and before me all the time. And we have to choose how we're going to deal with the bait. Are we going to take the bait and get into the snare of the devil? Or are we going to allow it to, to uh, purify us and to allow us to see our inward man and always dig for gold in other people? Always look for the good instead of trying to see the bad. Because there's lots of bad on the surface. So you got to dig for the gold. you got to mine for it. And sometimes you have to mine for gold in people <laughs> a long way. <laughs> but you got to be consistent. Say there's gold there somewhere. There's good there somewhere. Forgive them. They know not what they do. Let's stand. Thank you. Father, we pray that your spirit would come and reside with us right now. That every word that we spoke here tonight, your word, Lord God, I pray, the spirit of heaven would be loose tonight inside every one of our hearts. That you would uh, mold us 
And allow us, Lord God, I pray, to be molded into your image. We put ourselves, Lord, on this uh, on the, the potter's wheel tonight. And we pray, God, that you would dig your fingers deep within us. Mold us, God, into your image. And we give you the praise for it in the name of Jesus. Help us love everybody like we need to. Hallelujah. And I know that this was so wonderful and so good that everybody's begging to take up an offering. And so we're going to do that right now in Jesus' name. God, I pray that you would bless this offering, bless those who give according to your word, and we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Please give tonight. Hallelujah.